Um, but if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let me start though in Acts chapter 26. The Apostle Paul was given a, um, <clears throat> a commission from God. He was given a task God wanted him to do. He was told uh, to do. He was saved for this purpose, and he was given this task. And I want you to catch it here uh, as I read it for you in Acts chapter 26. Uh, When they were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. Paul's commission was to turn people from the power, the authority of Satan unto God. Okay, we live in a world whose people are governed by the worst ruler you can possibly imagine. Our people are governed by Satan. Now, if you go out and ask them, they don't think that. They don't feel they are. Uh, they don't think they do everything they can. But the Bible says that these people uh, were <clears throat> governed by Satan. They were under his rule. And that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So he, wants them, he wanted Paul to turn them from the authority of Satan unto God that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. All right, now 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Uh, And verse 3 says this, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. You know, isn't it frustrating sometimes when you take the gospel to somebody and you go through it and you explain it? And it makes perfect sense, isn't it? Our little Bible study that we're we're going through uh, is perfectly reasonable and sensible. Man has a problem with sin. Uh, Man's problem with sin has separated him from God. Uh, It has caused him or or earned him a place in hell. But Jesus Christ came to pay the price uh, for that sin. And God wants to give him that uh, that free for nothing. Isn't it it a wonderful plan? And yet, sometimes you, you talk to people about it and they don't see it. Now, why don't they see it? Because the God of this world, that is Satan, hath blinded their minds. They can't see it. They don't see it. They're blinded to it. Now, we're we're going to try and engage people in Bible study. We're going to try and engage people as far as salvation is concerned. But what we've got to understand is that there is a battle going on, an unseen battle. And it's a battle with the enemy who, first of all today, has them under his control. He He has them under his authority. They don't know it, they don't sense it, they don't feel it, but God says they're under his authority. And secondly, he has blinded their minds. He works very hard to stop what's going to happen happening. Right? Now, here's where we come in then with, with, with our gospel message. And um, we, we come into a people that are being protected carefully from the message we have to deliver to them. And what happens to us is we say, well, they don't want to know. And we act as though it's them. They're the problem. They don't care. They're not interested. They don't want to know. That's not what's going on. What's going on is you've got a spiritual warfare. And a spiritual warfare can only be won in prayer. 
we miss that one. And we withdraw from the gospel because we think, well, you know what, they're not interested. They don't want to know, what can I do? I've tried. I've talked to them before. But it's a spiritual warfare. Now, I've got a lot of things I'd like to challenge you with as far as what you're going to do uh, after this Bible study is concerned. Right? We're going to produce booklets, by the way, that you can take with you. Not, to, not tonight, but you'll have them uh, and that you can take with you as far as the Bible study is concerned. But I want you to do just one thing. All right? Just one thing. I like one thing. I can, I can handle one thing. You can probably handle one thing as well. I'm going to be away for the next two weeks. I'm going, going, going over for Willie's wedding, and I'm going to be away. And... Um, <clears throat> While I'm away, I'm going to challenge you to do this. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to commit to you that I'm going to do it as well, all right? And I'm going to challenge you to do this. And when I come back, we'll talk about it. I'll ask if you if you did it, right? I'm going to ask you to write down five people that you believe God has put on your heart that you're going to pray for and try and engage them in the gospel. Five people. Not huge, just five people that you're going to pray that God would enable you to engage them in the gospel and that you could see them one for him. All right? <clears throat> um, now, and, and what you do is you write it down, and uh, during your time of prayer each day, pray for those people. And what you're doing there is you're engaging in a spiritual warfare. You know, there's no point in you just walking up to somebody who's under Satan's authority and whose mind is blinded and trying to blast them with the gospel. But if you start praying for five people, and if you begin to intercede for them and to cry out to God for them and to ask God to open their minds and ask God to let them see the truth of the gospel, you will see things happen. You will definitely see things happen. God answers prayer. Because here's what's happening there. You see, God wants them to have their eyes opened so that they can see him. Don't we know that? That's, that's his plan, right? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants them to have their eyes open to come to the place where they trust him. Uh, when you get to the place where you want it to, and you're praying for it, now you're praying prayers that are, co-op, that are cooperating with what God wants to do already. So you and God are on the same side now. You're working towards something. You're not at odds with God on this one. This is what God wants. This is what you want. And that's on that we sang. All things are possible. Listen, all things are possible for God. You know, <clears throat> um, I, I, I said to somebody recently, you know, but God, God, won't, God won't make somebody change their heart. Uh, and he said, no, but I'll tell you what he does. He sends in the hornets. Right? And the nation of Israel, when they were going into Israel, God actually sent in hornets to clear the people out of the land ahead of them. Now, they didn't want to leave the land. It was their land. It was their houses. But you know what? They didn't want the hornets either. So he made them accomplish his will by sending in the hornets. God can, God can work on people's lives and draw them to the place of salvation. God can do it. God is not bound by any, uh, <clears throat> by any earthly power. But what we've got to do is we've got to engage with him first for their souls. And we've got to come to the place where we're actually opening up the word to them and letting them say, all right, now, <clears throat> with that said, I'm going to spend a few minutes here uh, looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 14, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> we're going to go through what your ministry is, right? We're going to catch, how many of you tonight would say, listen, I'm born again by faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm on my way to heaven? Up your hand, come on, listen, don't be ashamed of you're born again by faith in Jesus Christ, and you're on your way to heaven, all right? Uh, okay, yeah, that, that's great, you can put your hands down, right? You have a ministry. You may not be a pastor, uh, you, you may not be a missionary, but you have a ministry. 
you became a new creature, and the new creature is marked by a new ministry. You know, we often talk about the new creature, and we talk about all the things that we used to do that we don't do anymore because we're a new creature. But if you look at this passage, and we're going to see it in a second, the new creature is marked by a new ministry. That's the mark the passage gives us, right? Okay, <clears throat> verse 14. Let's pray first. Father, would you bless? Lord, open our hearts to receive your word. Let it find its mark deep in us and help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to, to undertake this ministry, and Lord, that it might be real and powerful and great in our lives. You know, Lord, make us a soul-winning church, Lord. Make us a church that see people saved and see people coming out, Lord. Lord, we know the enemy likes to beat us down and fight us on this one. But, oh, Lord, <clears throat> make us a people that uh, are active and are effective, and, Lord, that are seeing souls saved. In Jesus' name, amen. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Now, what that means is basically this, that Jesus Christ died in your place 2,000 years ago. He hung on a cross. He gave his life. He gave his lifeblood so that you could be saved. So that one died for all, which meant we were all dead. We were all dead and all on our way to hell, every one of us. Every one of us had earned a place in hell. Every one of us, if we were to get our just desserts here tonight, we would all go to hell. That, that's, that's what we've earned, right? So one died for all, then we're all dead, right? He had to die for us because we effectively were dead. But him dying for us means that we can have life, right? Now, <clears throat> and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now, if I was to walk around this room and talk to you about what your goals and your ambitions, what your desires are, and um, we were to have Mike there so everybody could hear, if you were honest about your goals and your desires and your ambitions, rapidly we would discover who you were living for, wouldn't we? We, we, we would rapidly know who it was that you were living for, uh, who it was that really was the important one in your scheme of things, in your plan. Now, and, and, and the question is, are you living for you? Or are you living for God? Is it about you or is it about God? Well, I got this and this and this I want to do. Well, if it's all about you, then it's all about you. Right? But God wants you to live for him. That you shouldn't live for yourself. What are your goals and your ambitions? Are they goals and ambitions that God has given you? Or are they goals and ambitions that you really don't care what God wants in? And, or are there goals and ambitions where this is what you want to do and you want God to get on board? Because living for God means I'm actually living for what he wants, not what I want. I'm living to do what he wants me to do, not what I want to do. I've put myself to one side and let, I'm letting him have his way in my life. What are you living for tonight? You know, <clears throat> what Paul is saying there is that... <clears throat> This makes sense, he says. We were all dead. He died in our place. We live. Now, we shouldn't live for ourselves anymore. We should live for him. We shouldn't live to do our own thing anymore. We should live to do his thing. We shouldn't live to serve self. We should live to serve him. We shouldn't be wanting to get our own way. We should be wanting to get his way. We should be surrendered and letting him have his way. We should be actively doing what he wants, not what we want. That's a great question, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of Christianity that really is all about us. 
all about what we want and what we want to do and what we want to achieve and our goals and ambitions and all the rest of it. And he says, no, no, no. I want you to do my will. And you will never be successful in the Christian life until you can put your will aside and do his will. Until you can stop looking out for number one and start looking out for him. And what you will find is that alongside of that comes all the blessing you could ever hope for. But it's not about you, it's about him. Verse 16, wherefore, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Right? <clears throat> now what he's talking about there is the idea that, you know, listen, it's not me. It's Christ. It's not about us. It's Christ. Uh, and, and we're not looking at people and not actually living just after the flesh. Now we're supposed to be living for him. Verse 17, you're familiar with, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, the idea of a new creature there is not just a sideways shift. It's a complete new creation. Now, the problem for us is we look the same after salvation, and we tend to feel the same, at least in our old nature. But <clears throat> he says we're a new creation. You're a totally new creation. Now, what, what's going to mark your new creation? Or what's going to be the clearest evidence of the fact that you're a new creation? Look at verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Christ, and hath given unto us, given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given you the ministry of reconciliation. Well, <clears throat> you know, here's what happened. I was a sinner. I was on my way to hell. I was doing my own thing. I was doing it in a nice way because I was a nice guy. But I was doing my own thing, living my own life, and it was all about me. And Jesus Christ stepped into my life and said, Dave, you're a sinner. You deserve hell. My son died for you. I died for you. So if you will accept the sacrifice of the cross, then I will save you, and you will be my child. And the best decision I ever made, bar none, I said, yes, please. Best decision, bar none. I said, yes, please. I, <clears throat> so I received Jesus Christ as my Savior that night. I was reconciled to him. Did you know that I was at odds with him before? In fact, the Bible says that we were at enmity with God. The Bible says that before we were saved, you know, though we didn't feel it, uh, that, <clears throat> that, that, that God was upset with us because of sin, because we've looked at in our Bible study, God has a purer eyes than to look on sin. So God was upset with us because of sin. But you know what? In that moment when I said, yes, please, all my sin was transferred to Jesus Christ and it was wiped out, completely gone. My sin past, present, and future was all gone and I was clean. For the first time in my life, I was clean before a holy God. And God wasn't upset about my sin anymore because it was paid for. I was reconciled to him. Now, <clears throat> Isn't it interesting in this verse that <clears throat> he says that he reconciled us to himself and he hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And I became a minister that night. You know, it was five years before I got, or got ordained as a, as a preacher. But you know what? I was a minister from that night on. I had a ministry. My ministry was reconciling people to God. 
You're born again tonight. That's your ministry. Your reckon, ministry is to reconcile people to God. You've been reconciled. And he says, okay, now go reconcile other people. I mean, it's a glorious plan. Uh, here's the deal. You know, everybody in the world is a sinner needing a Savior. Jesus is the Savior. The gift is free. He says, if you will trust, if you will depend, if you will believe, I will save you. Okay, you've, you've trusted, depended, and saved. Now go tell other people the message. Imagine people were starving, right? <clears throat> because this is kind of something practical that you can see. People were starving. We, we, we have a hard time imagining that in our day and age. But we'll imagine there'd been some cataclysm and people were actually literally starving. They were starving to death. Uh, there was no food available. It had been two weeks uh, since there was any food to pay available. And people were dying. People, were, people were, were, were rapidly coming to the point of death. Uh, and somebody came to your home and they l- delivered to you a box of groceries. And they said, now listen, tell everybody. If they come to such and such a place, I'll give them a box of groceries too. What would you do? You go and eat some of the groceries first, wouldn't you? Because you're hungry, all right? <clears throat> but apart from that, what would you do? You'd tell everybody, listen, this guy, he's giving away a box of groceries. It'll save your life. Go get some. Go get you some. Here's what Jesus did. He paid the price for your sin. He took the penalty of hell away from you. And he says, now listen, I'll do it for everybody. Go tell them. Go tell them. Now we'll say, you went to three neighbors and they all said, no, we're too tired. We're, we're, We're not going. Would you give up with your box of groceries? Hardly. You'd keep telling everybody, wouldn't you? And you know what? <clears throat> Every now and again, we'll say, you got somebody who went down and got the groceries, they would come back and they would tell people too. And pretty soon people would start believing because there'd be a difference between the, the living and the dying. And people would start going for the groceries. Now listen, that's the way the gospel's supposed to work. Because you're saved, you tell others how to get saved. Because you're saved, you, 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 you seek to draw others to Christ. You tell them where they can find this reconciliation, where they can be helped, where they can see it turned around. Because you're saved, you take and you turn it around and you invite them to come, and, uh, come to him and to be reconciled. And isn't, isn't that very reasonable? But why don't we do it? Well, you know, if we believe in this salvation, and we believe the biggest problem people have is that they're going to hell, then why don't we tell them? Because you know what? There's a spiritual warfare involved in it that goes against us too. The enemy fights us on it. The enemy <clears throat> goes after us on that to stop us doing that. To stop us believing in that. To get us in the place where we yield and give up, and we do. If I were to ask you to raise your hands, <clears throat> each one of you that's given somebody a tract or spoken some word of the gospel to somebody, anybody this week, there'd be a lot of hands that couldn't go up in this room. Now you say, why is that, Pastor? Why is it? Because there's a warfare involved in this thing. And the enemy's very effective in shutting us down. Now your ministry is to reconcile people. You know, when I stand before God, he's not going to ask me, okay, Dave, um, what kind of a car did you drive? He's not going to ask me that. He's not going to ask me how many friends that I have. You know, he's not going to ask me how many degrees I got. 
He's going to want to know what I did with my ministry. Hey, Dave, did you tell people about me? It's very reasonable, isn't it? Do you honestly think you're going to go through that first interview with the Lord Jesus Christ and he's going to not ask you that question? Now, you'll have a lot of stuff you want to tell him that's important as far as you're concerned, but you know what? He came to earth and died for this. This is number one importance with him. Why don't you have much ministry? You say, well, yeah, I don't know much. We, 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 listen, we've got a host of excuses as long as your arm that hinder us from the gospel, that keep us back from it. I don't know that he's going to buy any of them. I really don't know. I don't know that Jesus is going to say, oh, yeah, I know. It rains a lot in Ireland. I understand that. I mean, that's gone, man. That's, that's a hard place to be a witness. It rains. Those people are Catholic people. They, they, listen, they all think they know it. Yeah, I, I understand it's hard. I, I don't think he's going to buy those excuses. You see, if somebody came with the groceries and gave me the box of groceries and said, now listen, tell everybody about it. I, I wouldn't have to go to my next door neighbor and skull haul him and drag him down to get the groceries and make him get the groceries. Sometimes that's what we think about with the gospel. We think I'm responsible for grabbing him and, and, and dragging him to the gospel and somehow presenting the plan in such a way that he is befuddled and bamboozled and he says yes. Listen, if I were to go to you and offer you a million euros, I wouldn't have to plead with you to take it. I would just offer it to you. You'd take the hand and all, wouldn't you? When it comes to the gospel, I'm offering something of much greater value than a million euros. And if somebody doesn't want to take it, you know, that's really their problem. I'm not made responsible for making them take the gospel. I'm made responsible for giving them the message, for telling them. What the enemy wants to do, though, is he wants to stop you from ever telling them, and he's very effective at it. I've talked to you about this before. We, we, we could have a chart of LifeGate Bible Baptist Church, the spirituality and the outreach of LifeGate Bible Baptist Church, and how really the heart of things was going. Do, do, do you know where, where we would find LifeGate Bible Baptist Church was at its highest? When we were there, we were out there, we were talking to people, we were speaking about the gospel. That's when, that's when, when LifeGate would be at its highest points. And the points where we're at our lowest point, we'd be occupied with all kinds of other things. We'd be doing all kinds of other things and making excuses for why we can't get around to the gospel. Because, man, that's hard. There's got to be something easier we can do than the gospel. But they're dying in their sin and they're going to hell. What's more important than that? What's more important than the gospel? You know, somebody dying in life and, and, and um, <clears throat> being dead... You know what? That's not as important as somebody dying in their sin and going to hell. And yet, for us, it becomes more important. If, the, if, the, if I were to tell you that somebody over in those flats there, over there, and they're going to die unless we get them out of there within the next 20 minutes and get them to a hospital, we would all go over there and we'd start hunting and working and trying to find because we want to save life, wouldn't we? Because we're motivated by that. But everybody over in those flats... Is going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. Somebody needs to tell them. We've got a ministry of reconciliation. 
That's your ministry. That's what you're here for. You say, well, no, 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 you know, I got, I got this job that I got to do, and I got to do it well, and I got to uh, <clears throat> make it look good for the boss, and I got to make the boss uh, happy with me so he thinks well of Christianity. Why? Because I have a ministry of reconciliation. Everything, everything that you and I do is supposed to have this in mind. Everything that we do is supposed to have this in mind. You know, God's not going to ask you what your bank balance was when you die. God's not going to ask you, you know, how much do you think you achieved of your goals in life? All of those things won't matter then. Did you do your ministry? Are you doing your ministry? Now, we could, we could go on, <clears throat> but we're going to stop there, right? God's given you a ministry. This is, this is not for a few people in this room. You, you walk out of here tonight and some of you are going to, go, some of you are going to say, yeah, you know, pastor's right, and you're, going to, and you're going to start working on those five people. And some of you are going to start praying for those five people. And sooner or later, some of those people are going to be saved. They might never come to LifeGate Bible Baptist Church. That's okay. Some of them are going to be saved. Right? That's, that's, that, that's what's going to happen. It's just going to happen. It's reality. Some of you are going to walk out of here tonight and you're going to say, yeah, that's a great idea. I should do that. When I come back from, from America, you'll be saying, oh, yeah, I said I would do that, didn't I? No, what's the problem there? The problem there is you're not really taking it on board. It's not that important. It's not that big a deal. You have neighbors, you have friends, you have workmates, you have school people. Uh, you, have, you have a whole mission field all around you that needs to hear the gospel. And you know what? If you don't get involved at this level, where you start praying and actively seeking somebody to get saved, you know, you're not fulfilling your ministry. Now, you say, Pastor, that's really finger-pointing. I know. I know it's finger-pointing. I know you don't like having the finger pointed at you. But listen, when you're much sooner have my finger pointed at you than Jesus Christ, that's my job. My job is to point a finger now uh, so that when you stand before him, you won't have a finger pointed at you then. You won't have him saying, why? This is serious stuff. This is key to him. And it needs to be key to us. And everything in life and the enemy and everything else will try and sideline this. And we need to say no. So the challenge is, find five. Five people that you're going to pray for, that you're going to have on a list, that you're going to pray for daily. Lord, save this person. Open up a door. Give me an opportunity. Get, help me get them into a Bible study. Help me to speak to them, Lord. Help me to get them into church. Lord, help me to see this person saved. And you're going to start praying, and you're going to start praying and actively pursuing. Right? <clears throat> Just five. It's not huge, but five people in your circle that you're going to seek to influence for Christ. You know, and if we will do, if we will each do that, there's got to be 50 people here tonight, right? <clears throat> you know, there's got to be 250 people that are being prayed for actively. That's bigger than the size of our church. What would God do with that? What do you think God would do? God looked down and said, "Oh, there go those jokers in LifeGate. They started a new plan. Oh, would you look at them? They're praying for souls to get saved." 
Or do you think the heart of God would rejoice and say, there, there are those people. They've got my commission. They've got my ministry in mind for them. Now, do you think if God looked at your prayer in that way that he couldn't answer? Are all things possible for him? Of course they are. God will begin to answer. And you know what I find in my life? When I get in, when I get in the right place with God and I'm actually you know, <clears throat> following hard after what God wants me to do, all kinds of other things begin to happen too. You know, those five people might not get saved, but I'll tell you what, something will happen. When you begin to pray and you begin to seek the Lord, he begins to steer you and guide you, and he begins to do things. But, but, but if we are prepared to say, okay, yeah, well, there's not much we can do about it, you know. <clears throat> I'm busy doing other stuff anyway. Nothing happens. So the challenge is five. Right? I will pray seriously, and I will have five people. Right, that I will be praying for. And I encourage you to do the same. And when I come back from the States, we'll talk about it and we'll see what we can do as far as getting them out and getting them into church. All right? Okay, if I could have some, some of you guys uh, pass out those <coughs> sheets at the back there. We're going to go through our study here real quick for tonight. And then we're just going to break up into the same groups we were in last time. But and I'm not going to pick who does it this time. I'm going to ask one other person to lead it, other than the person that was leading it the last time. We're going to move it around a bit. All right? <coughs> Now, you say, oh, man, I'm not prepared to, to lead it. But, you know, I, I think you can do it. Uh, and I think, you know, we're, we're not in a place where you're, you need to know everything. We're, we're going to actually have everybody. I don't think there's enough for everybody, by the way. Uh, there's 25 sheets there, so we're going to have to kind of look, uh, look in. Two, let's have one to two people, all right? And we will get the cup of tea tonight as well, okay? By the way, we read on this book, and um, <clears throat> you'll see kind of why as you go through it. Uh, you're only getting one lesson of it, but you're going to have all four lessons. What we've done is we've changed some of the illustrations so that they're Irish and um, <clears throat> they're, 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 uh, they're more friendly to where we're at, okay? So we, we, we all have one, yeah? We all have one that we can look in on at least, yeah? Anybody need one? They haven't, they haven't got one they can look in on. There isn't one back there, okay? Who has too many? Do you guys? Okay, this, you guys have two here. Could you pass one of those back and, and the two of you get together and look in on them, right? Anywhere else where there's... No, well, you're going to have to look in with somebody. You can't have one all to yourself. So how are we doing now? Okay, no, you sit in with those guys and pass that back. Um, <clears throat> Anya, would you go back and sit with Val and her mom there, and then they can look in on the one you're looking at as well? Now, who, who can't eyeball one at this point? Uh, Alan, have you got one you can see? <laughs> but do you have one that you can see? <laughs> uh, 
All right then. <clears throat> Let's quickly go through this here, right? Well done, Anya. <laughs> you see, he thinks he knows it all, right? But we have to help him anyway, right? Um, <clears throat> so far we have seen that God is holy and man is sinful, that God is just and man is condemned, and that God is loving and man is loved. This lesson deals with how we access forgiveness and the righteousness we need to enter heaven, right? Lesson four is God is gracious and man is needy, right? Now, what we're, what we're going to do here is we're going to connect up the dots and bring someone to the place where they actually trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, there are several things that are going to stand in the way. First of all, people are going to say, I don't need it. Right? People are going to look at the situation and they're going to say, I'm, I, I, I'll be good to get it. I'm going to turn over a new leaf and be good. But none of that's going to work. It's grace meeting a need. And it's humbling. The biggest reason that people are going to spend eternity in hell is they don't want grace. They're too proud. They don't need anything. But in order for somebody to save, they have to come to the place where they understand... I need help, right? <clears throat> okay, in lesson two, we saw that God is prepared to judge our sin. What else is he ready to do and why? Nehemiah 9 verse 17 says, Thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and forsookest them not. Now, the nation of Israel deserved judgment, but you know what? They found God to be a gracious God. Now, gracious means that he gives that which is not deserved. That which is not earned. And it's a key understanding of God. That God gives us that which is not deserved. If we, if we operate with God on the basis of what we deserve, we're in the wrong economy completely. Always. Even after we're saved. You know, it's not what we deserve. God's always operating on the basis of grace. And graciousness is the idea of mercy. Of, you know, giving somebody something they need but don't deserve. Right? <clears throat> Number two, grace was given to mankind as a gift from God. Who paid the price of God's grace? Second Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. If you're saved tonight, born again on your way to heaven, you know what? You're rich. I don't care if you haven't got any money in the bank. I don't care if things are looking bleak for you financially. You are rich. Now, why are you rich? Because the biggest problem anybody that lives on this planet could ever have is the axe that hangs over their head saying they're going to hell when they die. And that's been removed for you. Now, you didn't earn it. You're not better than other people. It was grace. He paid your price for your sin. He became, he was rich and he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. Right? Look at the next page, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's what we're talking about tonight, dependence on him. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't earn this thing. As soon as you put your hand to it and say, well, you know what? I'm going to do my part in this salvation thing. Immediately you blow the model. Because you can't earn it. It's a gift. Right? It's got to be something that's received uh, by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody's going to heaven and going to say, hey, man up, man up there, open the gates, I need to come in. Nobody's saying that. Absolutely nobody. 
not Mother Teresa, not anybody. Nobody's going to march in and demand the place. Everybody is going to, who goes into heaven is going to go into heaven by grace. I didn't deserve it. But he paid me. Everybody's going to travel on somebody else's ticket. Jesus Christ's ticket. Now how do we access grace? Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace through God, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We're justified by faith. Justified mean, means we're made just as if I'd never sinned. Right? And then we have access by faith. That's too simple, isn't it? Faith is believing, is trusting, is depending upon what God did. We have access by that. The words faith and believe mean the same thing. Uh, uh, Acts 10.43 says, to, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Right? <laughs> that whoever believes in him through faith, we'll have remission of sins. What does it mean to have remission of sins? Well, it means your debt that's built up high above your head, that you have no way of paying, that through faith in him, you can have remission of that. Pride says, I'll pay for it myself. But reality says, no. He's offering me free. I'm going to receive it by faith. Uh, Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You see, not only do you need remission of sins, i.e. your sins forgiven, but you know what? You need righteousness to get into heaven. Because only righteous beings are in heaven. God is of holier eyes than to look on anything that, uh, uh, that is sinful. And only righteous beings. And you know what? <clears throat> Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. In other words... Christ gives us his righteousness. When I stand before God in that day, I won't stand before God based on the fact that I preached in this pulpit for 20 odd years. I won't stand on the, uh, before God on the basis of the fact that, you know, I've been a good person for most of my life. I won't, because you know what? I haven't been, and my righteousness wouldn't do it. I will stand before God cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he will look at me and see the righteousness of Jesus and accept me on that basis. And the only one that ever gets into heaven is going to come in the same way. Nobody gets in apart from that. It has to be the righteousness of Christ. Um, John six forty seven. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. That's talking about heaven. Believing on him, you have everlasting life. Um, now pages could be filled with verses that tell us clearly that we receive salvation when we believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ um, common faith says uh, let's explain it here with this verse Luke 4.41 says and, and devils also came out of many crying out and saying thou art Christ the son of God for they knew that he was Christ Right now did the demons in that passage know and agree that Christ is the son of God <coughs> they knew didn't they okay now were they going to heaven? Why? You see, it's more than just head knowledge. It's more than just understanding and acknowledging a certain truth. It's depending upon that truth. Right? Um, 
Saving Faith, the, the, the illustration of Blondine helps, and I'm not going to read through it all with you. You can read through it uh, in the Bible study. But <clears throat> the, the, the illustration with Blondine uh, is that he walked across the Niagara Falls, and he walked back again, and um, he pushed a wheelbarrow at one point, and he, and, he, and he said, who believes I could put a man in the wheelbarrow? And I could push him across and bring him back. And everybody believed. And he said, okay, you, sir, would you come up here? And the man ran away. And the reason he ran away was because he believed he could do it, but he wasn't going to trust him. Saving faith is, I believe you can do it, and I'm trusting you to do it too. Now, in order to trust that God is going to save you, you have to actually give up on some things. Everybody has their... You know, when you talk to people about how they're getting to heaven, everybody has their, their, their way they're getting to heaven. Most, no, very few people say, I'm going to hell and I don't care about it. Very few people actually say that. People who think will have a way that they're getting to heaven. You know, and, and it's not far from their lips. Well, I'm a good person. I never do anybody any harm. I keep the commandments. I go to church. They will have all kinds of reasons that are getting them to heaven. But in order for somebody to actually put their trust in Jesus Christ, they have to give up on those things and say, I'm trusting him. There's no other way. He's the only way. If you're trusting in something else to get you to heaven, you're trusting in the wrong thing. The only thing that can get you to heaven is Jesus Christ. You've got to put your trust. You've got to depend fully upon him. Uh, we must come to him for mercy, believing that he will give it because of the sacrifice of the cross. We come looking for mercy believing that he's going to give it because of the sacrifice of the cross. A story told there, and you can go through it, uh, about a, uh, an old lady in Russia whose daughter was dying, and the doctor came and told her, if she doesn't get some fresh fruit, she will die. Problem is, it was the middle of winter. And the, this old lady was, was weeping for her child, for her daughter. And, and she goes to the king's palace because she knows there's fruit up there because they've got greenhouses up there. And she's looking in, uh, at the greenhouses, looking at the fruit and thinking, if only I could get some of that, I could save my daughter's life. And at that moment, the princess happened to be looking out, and she saw her, and she came over, and she asked her, what was she looking at? And so she told the story. And the princess, moved by the story, went and took a basket and went into the greenhouse to start picking the fruit. And she came uh, to the lady at the, at the gate, and the lady put her hand in her pocket to take out the few coppers that were in her pocket to pay for them. And the princess looked at the coppers, and she said this. She said, listen, you haven't got enough to pay for this fruit. It cost a fortune to have those greenhouses, to keep them hot, to pay gardeners. You do not have enough money to pay for this fruit. And she drew the basket back. She said, either you receive it as a gift, or you can't have it at all. Salvation is received as a gift, or nobody gets it. There's no earning it. When we're talking to people, when we're going through the Bible study with people, we've got to help them understand there's no way they can earn it. Because everybody's got in their minds the idea that somehow I'll do something that will somehow uh, merit my salvation. No. Nothing. That will actually defeat grace. Because grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. If you deserve it, they deserve it, then they can't have it, right? <clears throat> Okay, you're going to ask them some questions then. Did you transfer your dependence to Jesus to save you from sin and hell? All right, based on what you have seen in his word, if you were, sorry, you got the sinner's prayer there first, right? Uh, based on what you have seen in his word, if you were to die right now, where would you go? Right? Uh, 
Remember, God cannot lie. By the way, what, what verse would you use there to help somebody? I mean, okay, John 3.16. What, what would be easier? Whosoever. Whosoever. Romans 10.13. Right? You, folks, you've heard me say it so many times from this pulpit. Right? There's hardly a service goes by that at some stage I don't say Romans 10.13. Uh, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It helps someone to understand, you know, that if they call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. God doesn't lie. If he says you're going to be saved, you're going to be saved. Right? If you were to die five years from now, where would you go? Now, what happens when, you, when they begin to ask these questions and answer these questions? Well, you begin to, to, uh, to stir up some things that they don't have answers for, and you're going to help them answer them, right? Um, they may say, well, I, I don't know. And you talk them through it. Well, what, what about your sin? Who's paid for your sin? What sin did he pay for? Just your past sin? Well, all your sin was past when Jesus, all your sin was future when Jesus died. So he paid for all your sin, past, present, and future. All of it's paid. The slate's wiped clear. You have remission from sin, from sin completely, right? Uh, if you have decided to depend upon him for grace, he has given you everlasting life. How long is everlasting? So if you died yesterday or before you made this decision, where would you have gone? By the way, that's an important question because they've they got to face up to the fact that you know, they haven't always been saved. Right? Um, Revelation 20 verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. You see, this decision has made a huge difference, hasn't it? Were you guilty before you made the decision? Are you guilty now? And you're leading them through helping them to understand what God has done for them. All right? Okay, so it is ten past seven. Uh, I'm going to give you <clears throat> 15 minutes again tonight. I'm going to pray.